Hello everyone, my name's Andy, if you haven't met me, and I'm going to read today from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, um, here we are um, at chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Um, thanks, Andy, for uh, the, um, for the uh, reading there. Well, as sophisticated Melbourne people, um, we are hardwired to spot prejudice. And um, when it emerges, whether it's racism or sexism or homophobia, um, depending on our age, we are, uh, it, it kind of, the, the extent to which we respond to this prejudice um, will, will be highlighted. Sometimes I think older people can be more tolerant of prejudice, but not always. And younger people are often more, more sensitive to it. Interestingly, I've, I've been getting into watching um, YouTubes of um, the old Australian TV show, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Now, those of you who were not born in the last sort of, who were born, uh, were born in the last two decades will probably have no idea what this show is. It was a kind of variety show that started in the early 70s as a kid's show and then became a sort of a family show in the evening on a Saturday evening. It was live and it was um, lots of kind of singers, musicians and um, comedians and, uh, you know, it was an institution in Australia. And it's very funny. But the thing is, I've been watching it and, and astounded by the way mainstream family entertainment, up until the, the 90s even, was quite prejudiced. It was racist. It was sexist, homophobic. And this was like, you know, a Logia winning, winning show that everyone sat around the fire to watch on a Saturday evening, drinking their Milo and eating biscuits. You know, now our radar for prejudice is so much more heightened that a show like Hey Hey It's Saturday wouldn't fly. And that's why when they tried to reboot it, I think it was about 10 years ago, they had, um, you know, those guys go on Red Faces, which was like a kind of a, a silly sort of um, talent show, part of the segment, a segment is part of Hey Hey, and they, they went as bl in blackface and got totally slammed. So, so you know, Australia has really shifted in the last 20 years in this respect. The thing is, though, sometimes, 
you know, while while we've become more sensitive to prejudice, which has been a really good thing, sometimes our our radar for prejudice can be too too heightened. Sometimes we can jump to the conclusion that things are being prejudice things are prejudiced when they're not. That comments or books or art or music is or film is sexist just because it's talking about gender or racist just because it's talking about race. Perhaps what we've done is we've failed to see the context of that 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 work or we've read a headline on a Facebook feed and not read the article and then we've jumped to conclusion. Just two weeks ago there were these um, anti-racist anti-racism protesters in in America in Wisconsin who um, destroyed a statue of a abolitionist a man called Hans Christian Haig. He was an abolitionist, and but they didn't stop to even check out who this statue was. They just assumed it was a white colonial person who was an oppressor, and they beheaded the statue and threw it in the river. I mean, oops, shall I say. Well, today we've got this passage from 1 Peter, which might cause us to make the same mistake as the Wisconsin protesters. It's a passage that writes about husbands and wives and focuses... Six of the seven verses on wives and then last verse on husbands. And the, f- the focus with the wives is on how they should relate to their non-Christian hu- husbands. So the early church had many women convert and, and often they converted in such great numbers that they were um, leaving the religion of their husbands who had not converted to Christianity. And this was a major issue in the church. And I know that there are um, people in our church sitting at home, women sitting at home who are, are wives of husbands who are not Christians and so you'll be listening in. So this is sermon's going to be really relevant to you. And I also know that there's husbands sitting at home watching who are, are not Christians, but you're watching because you're intrigued and you're seeing what your wife's, you know, going to church and, and doing each week. And so let me say this sermon is relevant to you too. Hopefully this will be an encouragement to you and that there'll be things in this sermon that, that speak to you. But more broadly, what the Apostle Peter says to these wives actually applies to us all and what he says to the husbands apply to us all in different contexts and and households so let's read through these seven verses and and see what it actually says um well the paragraph opens with wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands and by writing in the same way he's pointing back to his argument that he's been building in chapter two an argument that goes like this Uh, Chapter 2, verse 13, all Christians should submit to the civil authorities, uh, such as the emperor, the governor, the laws. Why? Because he wants them to be ambassadors for Christ in the wider community so that you will win them over by your good conduct. Um, He doesn't want the church to have a bad name in society. So he's saying, fit in in your context, you know, obey the, the laws and give the church a good name. Don't give give the church a bad name as as people who are insubordinate in society and then he continues in verse 18 he gives another example of this kind of principle and he talks to slaves he says even if you're a find yourself as a slave and and you're a christian and there were slaves in the church which is an amazing thing that slaves could sit side by side with um, free people he's saying even you can show your um, reverence and your um, obedience to your master and, and in, in, in so doing, um, be commendable before God, it says. And this, this follows the pattern of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, 
And so it's a similar argument in verse 13, verse 18. Then we come to chapter 3, and it says, in the same way as these two previous examples, wives submit to your unbelieving husbands. Why? What's the logic? Because they will see Christ in you and be won over. Or to, to, to quote it exactly, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. They will see Christ in you and be won over. So when we read this example of wives towards husband in the context of what Peter wrote in chapter 2, we can see his big argument that's emerging over chapter 2 and 3. And the big argument is all Christians should seek to live in an orderly and respectful and godly way according to the frameworks of their social context. And this is how you can truly promote Christ and subversively transform society to the pattern of God's kingdom. So it, it's not just about kind of fitting in and just keeping a low profile. Actually, there's a bigger goal, which is the subversive transformation of society to the pattern of God's kingdom. Just getting back to wives, though, just to use this, focus in on this example, to tell Christian wives to submit to their non-Christian husbands would not have sounded so shocking at the time. It was socially expected during that period that women should submit to their husbands, so nobody would have blinked an eyelid. And amongst all Christians, men and women, submission is a basic virtue. So it's actually just part of being a Christian. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. On the other hand, if, if this was a surprising statement, it's not for the fact that he's saying submit to your husbands, but it's because he's addressing the women like this. While they had many rights in Asia Minor, the women of Asia Minor and the Greco-Roman culture had many rights. Nevertheless, they were expected to follow the religion of their husbands. But Peter addresses them as independent moral agents who have chosen on their own to turn to Christ. He obviously supports their decision to, to do this, to convert to Christianity despite their husbands' different views. So what Peter wants them to do is to avoid a, a breakdown in the marriage. He, is, he wants them to try and win over their husband to the Christian faith. These women should relate to their husbands in a way that was fitting with their marriage contract. And I guess this is still the case today. If you agree to marry someone, you agree to love them through the good times and the hard times. And just because you've become a Christian doesn't mean you throw out the marriage contract just because um, you've converted to Christianity. This is fitting with the overall argument that Christians should live in an orderly and respectful way in the community so that nothing can be used against them as a weapon against the gospel. So if a Christian is mocked or um, criticized, but what Peter wants is that that, that mocking and criticism is, an, is because of an act of injustice rather than for any justified reasons. He doesn't want Christians to be mocked for reasons that are justified. He's saying to the wives, Conduct your lives in such a way as to win them over to the Christian faith without words. He doesn't want them to make their situation worse. Considering, he's saying, considering what you have done to join this new religion of Christianity, be humble and circumspect in your relating to your husband. Well, he develops his argument a bit more, and he says that the women should seek 
to be known for their gentle and quiet spirit rather than their outward beauty. Now, I just thought like because of our overly heightened um, radar for prejudice, I thought what I might do in this sermon as as we go along, we've already passed a few clangers, is every time we get to a, um, a, you know, a heightened radar for prejudice, I might honk this on because it's like, ah, here's another one. And there's a few in this passage. So here's one. I'm just going to honk the horn. Listen to this. Um, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, if you're reading this and you're, you're for the first time, you're, you're, you've never read the Bible before or you've never come to Mary Creek before you, and you're hearing this, you're thinking, what is this church on about? And your alarm bell is going off. Let me discuss what Peter's saying here. Every culture has their own idea of beauty. Ours does, and the church in Asia Minor, whom Peter was writing to, did as well. And in Peter's day in Asia Minor, the ideal woman had braided hair, wore nice gold jewelry, and nice clothes. Now, what he's saying here is not that these things are sinful. Rather, he's contrasting two different values. He's saying that, External appearance is far less important than internal character and virtue. The culture around you puts so much pressure on you to conform to how you should appear. But he's saying, don't let these pressures distract you from what God thinks is important, which is that you have Christ-like character. He says, your good character will never get old and wrinkly. Your outward appearance will, but your inner character will not. This is your unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, you might hear this idea of the quiet spirit and flinch as well. And because you, you might think, are they just saying women should be quiet and just say, you know, submit in the household and just, you know, is that what this is saying? It's, it's not that controversial, really, because having a quiet spirit is a basic Christian virtue. It's taught by the Old Testament prophets, it's taught by Jesus, it's taught by Paul to all people. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus praises the virtue of gentleness. The proverb says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Paul says that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit and that we should let our gentleness be evident to all. The writer to the Hebrews says to love each other like brothers and sisters care in a caring way. So before you, 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 your prejudice radar goes, on, goes off and says, Peter is a sexist, what is he saying? The Apostle Peter and maybe the preacher Peter as well. Before your radar goes off and be irritated that the suggestion that wives should have a quiet spirit, realize that the Bible actually says this to all people anyway. It's just that Peter is reminding the wives of this. He's reminding the wives in the church in Asia Minor that this is their calling. He's saying when you live virtually, uh, uh, virtuously like this, when you are gentle, you please God you have a powerful impact on the people around you, including your husbands who don't believe in Jesus. For example, says Peter in verse 5, look at Abraham's wife, Sarah, who submitted, who submitted to her husband, Abraham. He says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. It's a difficult example Peter gives here because it seems he's probably referring, referring to a particular story in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 to 20, which is in fact a terrible story um, where Abraham, or Abram as he was called, 
um, at that point in his storyline, Abraham, Abraham and his wife Sarah enter Egypt. And, and Abraham persuades Sarah to pretend that she is his sister because Abraham's worried about how he's going to be received in Egypt and he's worried he might get treated poorly. So he thinks, he says to her, pretend that you're my sister so that, so that I might gain favor from the Egyptians, you know. And so what, what's he talking about, you might be thinking. Well, Pharaoh's officials see Abraham and Sarah coming into town and they see how attractive Sarah was. And they, and they go and tell Pharaoh, check out this woman, the sister of Abraham. You should have her for yourself. So Pharaoh summoned um, her and took her as his wife, not realizing that she was already married to Abraham. And this was such a terrible incident that God, it says God brought a plague of diseases on Pharaoh. So notice what Peter is doing here in this story. Abraham is... An example of a husband who disobeys God's word, who does the wrong thing. But Sarah is like Christ because she saves her husband's life by being willing to suffer for his sake, to save him. She's being pointed to as the example of Christ-likeness and Abraham's not. And, and Peter's not justifying Abraham's behavior at all. Just to be clear about that, as soon as he finishes discussing or using you know Sarah as an example he quickly uh, makes sure that husbands don't think it's okay to act like Abraham and he says in verse 7 husbands in the same way there he is using that same argument again in the same way be considerate as you live uh, with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner uh, as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So before he was addressing the wives of unbelieving husbands, now he's addressing Christian husbands and he assumes that their wives are probably Christians too. So his instructions are a little bit different, although based on the same logic. He says that they should be considerate towards their wives. And this means literally that they should be living with their wife knowledgeably that's that's how it's literally translated and and living together it comes from a greek word that was usually used to describe sexual relations but could be used more broadly and here peter's using it in both senses so he's saying that the godly christian husband should not be demanding or selfish in his sexual and marital relations he should be considerate sensitive and serving there is no place for abuse or control or deception and so, as I showed you, my, my uh, radar went off, my um, prejudice radar, as did yours, um, because he, he also says that Christian husbands should be considerate because their wives are the, the weaker partner. But again, we don't necessarily need to um, smash, smash the, uh, the, the statues and throw them in the river like the Wisconsin protesters here, because he's just making an obvious point about physical strength he's not suggesting women are intellectually or spiritually weaker he's just saying christian men should treat their wives with respect because because they're physically weaker and you you can you can you know if you, you if you're an abusive husband you can hurt women your wife quite quite easily in fact you should be doing the opposite he's saying christian men should treat their wives with respect remembering that they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life and this is in fact the radical view of the christian gospel 
especially a radical 2,000 years ago when this was written, because it elevates women to be equal with men before God. They are fellow heirs. Now, in recent times, the whole notion of um, submission has been looked at more closely. Because of the way the teaching has been abused in the church, um, it has created a culture that has enabled some men to abuse their wives. And sadly, the women in these abusive marriages, when speaking up in their churches, have not always been taken seriously. Rather, they've been told to submit to their husbands in reverence to God and to have a quiet spirit and, 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 and just to put up with it. But hopefully after hearing Peter's argument, you'll see that this is an aggressively distorted application of what Peter's teaching. Peter is trying to encourage Christians in all the spheres of their life to be ambassadors for Jesus, to live pure and respectful lives according to the social structures they find themselves in. So for this reason, you can see that the call for submission, uh, for reverence for, and for purity and a quiet spirit is a call for all Christians, not just wives and not just wives of non-Christian husbands. And Peter is certainly not condoning abuse. He is not saying to Christian women, if you are in an abusive marriage or in an abusive relationship, then you can't leave and find safety. Rather, he's doing the exact opposite. Let me say that just that while abuse can happen in marriages where the husband believes that their wives should submit to them, so too Christian men who have this belief can be some of the most self-sacrificial and loving husbands. Just because you believe this doesn't make you an abuser at all. And the opposite is true. Sadly, there are marriages where the, the husband espouses a progressive value of equality of the sexes, but in a reality is abusive of their wife. So most importantly, what I want, I don't want people to miss here um, this sermon and think that this passage is saying that Christian women should stay silent and put up with abuse. If you are being abused by your husband, I want you to speak up. Please, you know, um, speak to me or speak to Beck and we will believe you. We will try and help you. We live now in a culture where for most people, the idea that wives should submit to the husbands is considered old-fashioned and sexist. And within the evangelical church, there are two main views on this. One that um, has a high view of submission and says that when Peter and Paul talk about wives submitting to their husbands, that it literally applies today. And I have close friends and mentors who hold to this view. And we have people in our church who hold to this view. And I think when lived out in a healthy way, it can work for marriages. There is the other view, which is a low view of submission that prom promotes mutual submission between husbands and wives and that the emphasis of submission on wives is culture-bound. And this is my view, and it's the official view of Mary Creek Anglican as well. In my experience, healthy marriages are less concerned with the question of submission. When it becomes a big issue for them, it's often a sign of something going wrong in the marriage. And, I, and I'm also curious about what the high view looks like in practice. What does it actually mean, uh, high view of submission? Often people say that the husband has the final say on the finances and major life decisions, but neither of those two uh, <laughs> applications of submission are actually discussed in the Bible in any, in any location. 
So I, I find the high view of submission, I'm not sure what it means anymore um, in the culture that we're living in. You'll notice that I haven't used the categories complementarian and egalitarian, which you might have heard before, because, partly because I find those categories unhelpful and misleading. If you don't know what they mean, it's where, where complementarian, people who have a complementarian view hold to a high view of submission, and, and people who have an egalitarian view hold to a low view of submission. I find that they've become tribal markers these days in the church and often quite misleading. They function as a badge for what we well, for what team you're on, um, what church team you're on, but they don't necessarily indicate anything about how you're living your life. And just to give you an example, last, last year I was at a, a, a church, a clergy conference with the Archbishop, and we were all sitting around tables as clergy. And my friend, who was a young female priest, was sitting at a table with four other male clergy who were from very progressive churches, socially progressive churches. And these men spent the whole time mansplaining about how enlightened they were about gender and sexuality and how conservative churches just needed to get with the program. And the whole time they talked over my friend and didn't let her get a word in. So, you know, when I see examples like that, and I could give you lists of many examples like that, we have to be careful not to not just hide behind our tri tribal labels and actually check that we are actually living out our values and not just espousing them. And actually, one of the things I'm doing right um, currently is working with um, Robin Boozy. She's coaching me through us doing a, an audit of our church and a, like a gender audit of our church and looking at um, how we're going. Because it's, it's easy just to assume things are going well in this respect. But then when you do an audit, you discover that you're ne not necessarily as good. So we're doing that at the moment. I'll give you an update when we've done it. As I've argued... In this sermon, what Peter is mainly concerned with in this chapter is that wives work out how to relate to their husbands in a respectful and loving and honoring way according to the order of the culture that they find themselves in. He wants them to do this to show respect to other people, to demonstrate Christ-like humility and love in such a way as not to bring a bad name to Jesus Christ and to the church in general. He does not want the church to get a bad reputation for attract, attracting women and causing them to leave the religion of their husbands and then become disrespectful in their marriage. And I'm persuaded that this lower view of submission is the right view, partly because of my view of the trajectory God has us on. In Galatians 3.28, Paul says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying there are not males and females, but he is saying that through salvation in Jesus, all people stand equal before God. He's saying Christ came to bring healing and restoration to the curse placed on humanity because of human sin, and that in the new heavens and the, uh, and the new earth, there'll be no more patriarchy. So I believe it's the church's calling to live this out. The reality is, in most modern Christian marriages uh, that are healthy, whether they have a high or low view of submission, men and women still seek to make decisions as equals. Joe and I are a couple who obviously take the Bible seriously and take our marriage vows seriously and serve one another using our different strengths and to mutually benefit the marriage unit and the family more generally. And I think a passage like this that we've looked at in 1 Peter 3 can be applied to marriages today. 
And so um, here's two examples, one for wives and one for husbands that I thought we can finish with. And so here's the first application taken directly from the passage, which is to wives, in your marriage, love your husband by focusing on developing your inner Christ-like character through living a holy life. This is a direct application of the passage. Obviously, this point applies to husbands as well. Um, everyone should be developing their Christ-like character. But in our passage, Peter puts a focus on the inner character of wives. Make the goal of your life the bearing of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can only pursue the transformation of your character through Christ who gives you strength. Some Christian wives have a low self-esteem, sadly, because they think that they are a constant failure in this respect. If this is you, I, I say, be comforted in the knowledge that you are, you are only perfect through Christ who gives you his perfection. So in your prayer life, confess your sins and ask the Holy Spirit to change you, to make you more Christ-like. This is a way to apply this passage and to do what Peter is saying. Now, let's turn to husbands. Husbands, the application here is to have a high view of considerateness. Have a low view of submission, seeing that all Christians are called to mutual submission, but have a high view of considerateness towards your wife. For years, the focus has been on the word submit, but very little focus has been on the word considerate. It's an interesting that we, we do this, isn't it? And it's an example of how I think patriarchy can play itself out in biblical interpretation. A high view of considerateness means that you remind yourself every day that your wife stands equal before God as co-heirs of her salvation and eternal life. A high view of considerateness means that you put her first in your decision-making. The more you say, what about my needs and my rights? The more you have a low view of considerateness. A high view of considerateness means that when you make decisions to serve your wife, you do it with a smile and without grumbling. A high view of considerateness means that you constantly audit your own marriage and make sure you are sharing the load of the housework. I could go on and you can see how this works. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a passage that does still speak to us today, even though there are lots of times when your radar goes off and you think, gosh, you know, we're in, a, we're in a new era here and these kind of passages kind of stick out a little bit. But I still think it speaks to us today because the Bible is alive and God is speaking through it. If you want to work on your marriage, let me encourage you. The Alpha Marriage course is starting up in Term 3. and We've got currently got 21 couples at church who are, are doing it. That's huge, isn't it? And the great thing is that you don't even have to leave home because it's all going to be done on Zoom. So you don't need to get a babysitter. And if you're feeling inspired or perhaps overwhelmed about your marriage or just want to give your marriage a refresher, let me encourage you to participate. And you can send me or Beck uh, an email and we'll give you the details.